0: I'd like to pick up where uh, Patrick mentioned a few things last week. We've been kind of uh, tossing the baton back and forth about this very thing. And in particular, I had mentioned a few weeks ago that I've been studying what are called the Bodhisattva Four Methods of Guidance. And the title of that can also be translated as The Four Ways Bodhisattvas Embrace Living Beings." I find that translation particularly sweet. It opens my heart to the feeling of embracing living beings, all living beings without exception. And uh, you might remember that I mentioned that I'm experiencing in my own life right now a simultaneous um, both inward turning and outward turning So, the kind of inward turning that is uh, supported and encouraged by Zazen itself and then the outward turning of how is this expressed in the world mm-hmm. so we know that there are what are called the Brahmaviharas, the um, sometimes translated as the four divine abodes. I find that a little too esoteric, but maybe the four noble attitudes is another. It's another genuine translation of that, and that's a little bit more accessible for me. So these four noble attitudes are kind of like the inward turning and they are about creating compassion and empathetic joy and equanimity. And this is what's cultivated in Zazen. And then we have this other list of four, the way bodhisattvas embrace living beings. And they're listed this way as giving kind speech, beneficial action, and identity action. And I mentioned a few weeks ago that I would take them up one at a time. So tonight is about giving. Related to what Patrick mentioned last week, he said something like, what, what world am I stepping into when I leave the Zendo? This is the outward turning part of our practice and wisely Patrick said doing this with the heart and mind of wholesomeness Mm -hmm. so practice period has been studying stepping off the 100-foot pole getting off our cushions (laughs) and bringing that uh, noble attitude into activity recognizing our non-separation and what Dogen calls non-greed. He defines giving as non-greed. I was also touched last week by Ziggy's question, you know, how, how is it that we in Buddhism work with the, uh, with the divine? And we don't actually call divine, divine. I feel it this way as kind of the unborn, unconditioned, incomprehensibly vast. That is both beyond and below any kind of discursive thought that we can come up with. But that that unconditioned continually expresses itself as the particular. So it's continually showing up as you, as a flower, as a bird, as another human. The vast inconceivable source expressing itself as the particular. Therefore, when we see every being, every object, so-called object, (laughs) as uh, an expression of the whole, Um, it's everything is the whole works showing up in its unique conditions so um in that way seeing the whole works right before our eyes the natural response is to honor it and treasure it and uh, interact with it in a wholesome way and this is what uh Patrick last week quoted Suzuki as saying, if you keep your original mind, the precepts will keep themselves. This is now always in contact with the vast and inconceivable. The precepts or the wholesomeness uh, arise naturally and express themselves completely. We have a, a resource that I'm actually going to unusually for a Dharma talk I'm going to share my screen with you and partly I'm motivated to do this some, simply because I can in in this kind of zoom zendo it um, it makes it easy to share a visual in a way that we wouldn't be able to do so simply in the zendo so I'm going to share my screen with you and a few pages out of a book written by Larry Young and that book is called Awakening Together And um, I don't know if you know this Zoom trick, but if you wanted to, up in the top right corner of your screen, you have something called View. You can highlight my little thing. You can highlight me as the speaker if you wanted to. And that would allow you to see what I'm going to share on my screen with you a little bit more completely. You don't have to, but it'll be there. So Larry Young expresses it this way. (laughs) Give me a second. this way here, he expresses it as a mindfulness training, we recognize that the external world influences our internal experience. So part of our mindfulness training, the inward turning, we're attending to our own internal experience, as he says it, that is impacted by the external world. And There is, of course, the satipatthana, the foundations of mindfulness, that has us then become aware of how our own internal experience, in fact, influences the external experience. So in a way, if I'm tired of my externalities, so-called externalities being grouchy, One of the things I can do is shift my own grouchiness (laughs) and this influences the externality. But of course, a little bit more realistically, um, Larry Young expresses it as the internal experience and the external experience mutually influencing. Mm -hmm. Ongoingly mutually influencing. I'm going to just lead you through a couple more of his graphics because they're really quite poignant to me. A few pages later, he expresses it this way. It's still kind of linear. Internal experience influences the externality. External experience influence what's going on inside we're paying attention to that and we're recognizing the mutually influencing activity of our lives one more graphic that he has is even more clear this way I'll put part of it in the center to begin the internal experience individual mindfulness brings us to better understand our own uh, intentions and our own internal activity. This then influences our personal actions. And we're aware of how the internal and external impacts upon ourselves. So that increases our awareness and that increases our learning. But simultaneous with that, quite beautifully expressed, The external experience, our collective intentions, and as we know, the Mahayana ideal is really about the collective. Our collective intentions affect our collective actions. In broadly speaking, in the world or in our small groups, in our families even, we become mindful of our internal and external impacts on others both broadly and intimately increasing awareness and increasing learning the next one is where it comes together i think you can tell by that graphic that it's going to form a very beautiful and loving expression both our personal and our collective actions bring mindful attention to self and other increasing our awareness and increasing our learning. This, what Larry Young has presented graphically, is what I call the arising of bodhicitta, the mind and heart of awakening. So let me talk a bit about the mind and heart of awakening related to giving. Bodhicitta, the bodhi part literally is awake and the citta is heart and mind. We know that those are uh, not, one, not two things in the root cultures of our tradition, heart-mind. And it is not translated as awakened as in past tense heart-mind. It is translated as awakening heart-mind a verb a gerund it's ongoingly it's not something that happened just one time and it's over it is an ongoing and continuous process as those uh, diagrams showed us Mm. the vast inconceivable source continually expressing itself as the individual (laughs) so what we're doing when we bring that kind of uh the inward turning We're deconstructing the small self in a way. And what we're doing when we're in the activity of the outward turning, we're cultivating Dharma friendships and we're learning how to act with wisdom and with grace. This is what I would call uh, is the expression of bodhicitta. I think we could say it's fair to say That Buddhism is intertwined with the culture of Asia and you know I'm not going to give you a geography lesson but there is South Asia there is Southeast Asia and there is East Asia and in each one of those um, facets of Asian culture Buddha's birthday is celebrated on a different date depending upon whether it is the solar calendar, or the lunar calendar, or the Gregorian calendar. So uh, in here we are, mostly converts to Buddhism, or we are interfaith practitioners. Uh, and so we're on the Gregorian calendar. We tend to celebrate Buddha's birthday on April 8th, or around there. But it could be May, it could be December, depends upon your culture what I'm trying to get at with this is that literally because of the arising of bodhicitta Buddha's birthday can be any day or every day any day in which you yourself are cultivating awakening mind is actually Buddha's birthday I see it this way the mahayana ideal with the uh, emphasis on the collective Uh, we see compassion both as a practice that we're cultivating and as a result of that practice so in a way compassion in our seated meditation is used uh, internally to transform or transmute, we could say, uh, emotional reactivity into attention and concentration. And that attention is then influencing uh, our awakening to the results of our activity. (laughs) Ideally, awakening us to our own uh, wisdom and grace in the world the wisdom of interconnectedness. But then that same expression of wisdom and interconnectedness becomes the basis for a different kind of compassion. And that different kind of compassion is what I call uh, bodhicitta. So bodhicitta is, um, can be and is perhaps mistakenly or simplistically understood as a kind of um, altruism or just kind behavior and uh, that it's primarily about doing good in the world for example or that the ethics of bodhicitta require um, engagement with social issues or environmental issues Uh, advancement of particular social or cultural agendas including social justice for example or uh, identity diversity so it's not it's not necessarily not that but it's not that simple the way uh, there's a person let's see mm, Ken McLeod in a tricycle magazine several years ago said it this way after having said uh, that his teachers um, did not emphasize this altruistic form of expressing compassion. He said it this way, quoting him, this social and political orientation is very much at odds with what my own teachers trained me to do none of my teachers ever presented bodhicitta as a method or a basis for social action let alone political ac- advocacy quite the contrary they presented it as a way to make use of whatever we encounter in life to deepen or enhance our experience of awakening the awakening they taught led to an essentially uh, deep relationship with life A way of experience life directly unmediated by the conceptual mind a way of life that is based on the union of compassion and wisdom what one actually did with one's life was left open so Ken McLeod here has expressed a uh, non prescriptive way of noticing that bodhicitta influences our activity in the world and each moment is the possibility of expressing bodhicitta. We could say, I think, if compassion is the wish to have others or one's own self not suffer, one approach certainly is to address the material needs. Uh, Offer food to someone who is hungry Offer housing to someone who is cold and outdoors. Offering comfort to someone who's experiencing fear for any reason at all. These are practical and generous and totally appropriate. And the compassion of the Mahayana way seeks to alleviate suffering and pain as much as possible in society with kindness and care and justice. We would call that, uh, according to Dogen's way, uh, beneficial action. (laughs) But the bodhicitta part of it uh, is actually to end suffering. (laughs) Suffering comes to an end when a person is so in touch with life that she or he is completely at peace regardless of the physical or emotional circumstances. The wish to help others find that kind of peace is a very different kind of compassion. Uh, Bodhicitta actually permeates every aspect of Mahayana teaching, I believe. And one could say that it is the quality to cultivate that moves us in the direction of Awakening. It, it sounds a little counterintuitive. Awakening uh, prods bodhicitta and bodhicitta reinvigorates awakening. <laughs> it, ongoing, a verb. <clears throat> Identity action. This identity action of, as Domeo had said it, being in the same boat. <laughs> identity action is this kind of uh, alleviating suffering by actually ending suffering. I think we could say that bodhicitta is an intention, and an intention uh, not just toward awakening, but to free beings from the cycle of repetitive suffering. So what about this is giving? When one behaves in the world with this open heart, (laughs) kind, always ready to become self-reflective, to recognize the results of one's own activity, to recognize the conditions of the world as they influence our own mind and heart. This, in cycle, this actually is giving. And the expression as Larry Young, uh, learning together and recycling back to the top of the heart. Uh Recycling back to the top of the heart, that is, oh, with this mind of awakening What is the next most appropriate activity? This is, in fact, giving. It can be pragmatic. It can be simple. And it can be vast and profound. When we say beings are numberless, I vow to save them, we're actually expressing bodhicitta. This is giving. At the beginning, you know how um, Dogen said about kind speech, at least start by refraining from being rude. (laughs) So we could say at the beginning, when I'm promising to free all beings, at least I'm going to free them from my own limited views Mm -hmm. and see this person uh, not through the constructs that form my limited worldview but rather to see them see them this is giving meet this person completely we also say uh, delusions are inexhaustible I vow to end them another translation of that one of, from Kaz Tanahashi actually delusions are inexhaustible we say reactions are endless i think that's accurate because we just constantly interact with the world from a a constrained place until we don't (laughs) reactions are endless may i release them all we say delusions are inexhaustible i vow to end them Releasing those reactions is, in fact, giving. Mm -hmm. We say, Dharma gates are boundless. I vow to enter them. The actual word, Gaku, is to study them, to enter them, to immerse ourselves in them. Uh, So, Dharma gates, uh, another translation is, doors to experience. The doors to experience are infinite in variety. May I enter them all. Mm -hmm. This also is giving. It is the expression of a willingness to enter Mm -hmm. with some faith, some confidence that you are Buddha. That each and every one is already Buddha. The vast inconceivable source expressing itself as you We say Buddha's way is unsurpassable. I vow to become it. Another translation. The ways of awakening are limitless. The ways of awakening, Buddha's way, the ways of awakening are limitless. May I know them all. And that sounds so selfish, doesn't it? I want to know all of them, every single one of them, because I want to be awake. But actually, it is from that generous and compassionate and wise heart. I want to know them all because this is the benefit to all beings. That's the intention, hiding inside bodhicitta, the awakening heart. Bodhicitta speaks, I believe, to the heartfelt wish that others not suffer. What would that look like in your life? In another teaching, Dogen tells us, when the need is large, the field is large. <clears throat> when the need is small, the field is small. Right? So what would it look like in your life on a day-to-day basis, really? Like sometimes it would be, you know, right now, I'm just struggling to finish this semester. I can't take on world peace. This is all I can do is write this term paper and get it done. And that's enough and for others at a different time it might be my intention to end biased behavior based on race and i'm going to start with this conversation in my family right now so the intention is huge and the activity is particular i encourage you when you think of it what would this bodhicitta actually look like in your life please don't worry about whether it's even possible when you have it, hold it in your heart for just a moment. If you experience that shift, just rest there for a few minutes and consider, what would it be like to live your life from that shift? From the perspective of bodhicitta practice, that shift is everything. Catherine, as I've said a couple of weeks ago, Catherine said, and then something happens. <laughs> That's the shift she's talking about when bodhicitta as the activity of um, attention to awakening. Something happens. That shift is everything. When you feel that shift, that's the place to live from in intention. When you feel that shift, it's Buddha's birthday. A Buddha has been born. An awakened mind, an awakened heart has been born. It needs and we all need nourishment and support to be able to cultivate that very mind, the mind and heart of awakening. Where do we turn for that support? To Sangha. This is the precious treasure. And where do we offer that support? In Sangha. This is what I would say is the essence of giving. Please consider studying giving as a way of embracing all living beings. I think that's a fine place to stop. (laughs) And I'll offer a uh, slightly different dedication, and then we can move into the four vows. Mm -hmm. May we exist in muddy water with purity like a lotus. Thus we bow to Buddha. Beings are numberless. I vow to save them. Delusions are inexhaustible. I vow to end them. Dharma gates are boundless. I vow to enter them. Buddha's way is unsurpassable. I vow to become it.